I honestly think that the hardest period of time for women who struggle with drinking and decide to stop is before you actually stop. Hey, my name is Veronica Cisneros, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a mama of three girls, and married for 23 years. I am obsessed with helping you navigate through the seasons of marriage, helping couples like you break free from feeling like roommates. I will teach you the secrets to having a healthy marriage by providing tools and tips to help you reconnect in a way that you can't keep your hands off each other where flirting and kissing is the norm in your household. Setting intentional time to date, get to know and support each other's dreams and goals so that you can grow together without keeping score or judging one another. Where you feel seen and heard even when you disagree. Where arguments end with mutual respect and understanding. Where you work together to build and strengthen your family so no one feels like they're carrying the weight of the family on their own. These are the necessary skills your children need for you to model so that they develop healthy relationships and thrive in life. This is the Empowered and Unapologetic Podcast. Hey ladies, welcome to the Empowered and Unapologetic Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Cisneros. Today's guest is a life and sobriety coach and the host of the Top 100 Mental Health Podcast, the Hello Someday Podcast for Sober Curious Women. As an ex-red wine girl who spent 20 years climbing the corporate ladder while holding on tightly to her love of wine, Casey's passionate about helping busy women stop drinking and create lives they love without alcohol. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, NBC News, and over 60 sobriety, motherhood, and mental health podcasts and publications. So please help me by welcoming my guest, Casey Davidson. Hey, Casey. Hey, I'm so excited to be here and talk to you. I know. I'm so excited to have you. Um, we did a podcast episode on your on your podcast, and the questions you were asking me really, really like like really made me stop and think like, wait a minute, what is this? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was just so intrigued about your story. So intrigued about your passion to serve the community and really challenge women to go ahead and see this other side that a lot of us tend to avoid. And so can you start us off by sharing your story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I basically for a very long time described myself as a red wine girl. I was, yeah. you know, the kind of person who scheduled every anniversary at a wine tasting weekend with my husband. I moved to an area of Washington State outside Seattle where there are 90 wine tasting rooms three miles away. Like, I just used to really enjoy coming home, opening a bottle of wine, um, drinking it over dinner while doing dishes after the kids went to bed, and it became a daily habit. I also yeah. had been in the corporate world and startups. 
uh, for 20 years. So I was climbing the corporate ladder, um, got married, bought a house, had kids, you know, all the things that we're told are going to make us successful. And as my life got busier, it also kind of got smaller in terms of my interests. Once I had kids, I could no longer, um, you know, go away kayaking with my girlfriends or take guitar lessons after work. I was sprinting to daycare to pick up my son and then getting home for bath time and bedtime and all that stuff and jumping on the computer afterwards. And I started drinking more wine. So, you know, what once was two glasses a night became three, began four, and pretty easily it became a bottle of wine a night. And I didn't necessarily realize the degree to which it was making my life harder. I mean, I knew sometimes I overdid it and I got hangovers, but I was also waking up around 2 or 3 a.m. every night with huge anxiety. And I felt like I could barely cope with my life. I was just more on edge, more irritated, more resentful. And I thought the wine was helping me. And it wasn't until I learned a lot more about alcohol, how it impacts your nervous system and your sleep and your mood and how hard it is to get out of that habit that I realized the degree to which it was really dragging me down and life was easier without it. Yeah. Was there ever a time that maybe somebody pointed it out to you that this is this is a problem, this is an issue? I didn't have a lot of people telling me to stop. Um, I was a big drinker, but so were most of my friends. I mean, we all met yeah. when we were in our 20s, sort of climbing the career ladder. All my girlfriends um, worked at pretty big jobs. And then we always went out to happy hour. And then once we had kids, we sort of commiserated. You know, we loved our kids, but we also had mommy play dates with plenty of wine. And we used to go away from weekends and drink. So, you know, now that I've stopped drinking, I realized that not everyone in my big group of friends drank the way I did. I was definitely one of the ones leading the push to, hey, it's a party you know, every time we get together, but a lot of them did. And my husband and I met when we were 22. So he kind of always knew me as someone who liked to drink and, you know, he kind of thought I'd grow out of it for sure, but he didn't want me to stop completely. He wanted me to not drink so much or drink so much on like a Tuesday night. But a lot of our relationship was going on vacations together and drinking or doing, Mm -hmm. you know, restaurant hopping, you know, going from one bar to another. And so, I mean, to the point where the week I stopped drinking for the last time, he said to me, why don't you just join the wine club of the winery up the road so you wouldn't, you know, so you don't have to go out a couple times a week for a couple bottles of wine. And in my mind, as someone who had worried about my drinking for a long time, had tried to moderate for years, and 
was acutely aware of the number of wine bottles filling up my recycling every week. I was like, how can he say that and not realize that's a problem? But he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, he's not, in his eyes, it's, I'm not seeing like, you know, all of what I think are the signs, what I consider the signs. Right. And so for him, it's like, well, I mean, we're having a good time. It's, it's not a big deal, you know? And, you know, I give this example. I had, um, I had a young, young client and she was in my office and, you know, she was cutting and, um, she had a really bad, um, really bad eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Both of her parents were physicians. Both of her parents were physicians. They had no clue. Mm. They had no clue her daughter had an eating disorder. And, you know, when they came into my office, they were just like in shock. Here's this therapist saying, hey, you know, we need to go ahead and I need to collaborate with, you know, a dietitian. You know, so we need to recruit a dietitian. We need to recruit a her pediatrician. We need to recruit a psychiatrist. Like I need a whole team if I'm going to work with your daughter. Yeah. And they're looking at me and they're looking at each other. And it's like, how the hell did we miss this? Yeah. You know, this is our daughter. And not only that, but we're physicians. Like if anybody's going to catch it, it's going to be us. Yeah. And I remember there was a great amount of shame. And, you know, my reply to them was, you're not looking, you know, for eating disorder symptoms in your child. Yeah. Like you're not, that's not something we're all setting out to look for, you know? So there's, there's. I don't want to say there's no way you could know, but if we're not looking for it and we're doing everything we can um, to support our, our children, yeah, it's, it's not one of those things that are like at the top of our radar. So I can, I can see why for your husband wasn't there. And I was also, I mean, he didn't know because I desperately didn't want him to know how worried about it was because I didn't want to stop drinking or even if I wanted to, I was worried I wouldn't succeed and he would be watching me for the rest of my life every time I poured a glass of wine or my third or fourth glass of wine. So, you know, I didn't tell him much about the 3 a.m. wake-ups. I just was like, oh, I'm tired. Um, I tried to avoid his eyes in the morning. You know, he'd be like, so how are you feeling? I'd be like, what? I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I overcompensated with everything so that, you know, it was like, nobody could say anything to me. Like, look, the kids appointments are good. I'm doing great at work. I, the coffee is made, the all, everything's checked off the list. I want to sit down with my glass, you know, quote unquote, really drink a bottle of wine. What's your problem kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. When did you know it was really bad. Like, when did you know, holy shit, this, this is, this is not healthy. Yeah. I think that for me, one of the things that kept me stuck for a very long time is the idea that the only people who decide to remove alcohol from their life are quote unquote, that bad, right? You have to have a serious problem with alcohol, mm-hmm. a drinking problem to stop. Um, yep. I spent a very long time saying to myself, well, I don't think I'm a quote unquote alcoholic. So I just need to moderate better, like be better at not drinking too much. 
And I tried to do that for a very long time. I used to walk into work and be like, yikes, do I just abuse alcohol or do I actually have a drinking problem? Because if I just abuse it, then I can stop abusing it. You know, that was my rationalization. And I pretty much did everything I could to not drink so much. So I signed up for 6 a.m. workouts. I signed up for evening running clubs, thinking like, well, if I go running three times a week, then I can't drink as much. I went on the Whole30 because you're not supposed to drink on it. I switched to white wine or beer. I made all the rules. I'll only drink Friday, Saturday, you know, never worked Mm -hmm. or didn't work for long. And it was more of a death of a thousand cuts for me. Like I said, I didn't have any moment of clarity or a big bottom, but I was definitely worried about it. I was, you know, when I say death of a thousand cuts, it was like, ooh, I don't remember the fight I had with my husband last night. I knew we argued about something, but I don't remember what it was. Or um, I'd be watching a TV show and my husband would be like, you watched this last night. And I was like, no, I didn't. Like, so sure he was wrong because he wasn't watching with me. He was in and out. Yeah. And then at the very end, something would be very familiar. And I'd be like, oh, my God, my brain didn't record that. Um, yeah. Bloodshot eyes in the morning. Um you know, all of those things. And then I was also, because you sort of, I, I had read a couple books about women and quitting drinking or memoirs about drinking too much and stopping. There's a entire category of books called Quitlet, you know, like Chicklet, but Quitlet mm-hmm. for women. Mm-hmm. Um, some really incredible books and memoirs out there. And a lot of what these women were saying resonated with me. I was like, what is, I feel that, you know, what is one story, um, from that book, um, that kind of resonated with you the most? Well, one that I really loved was called the sober diaries by Claire Pooley. And she was in, she's British. She's very funny. She had three little kids when she stopped drinking and she used to be in advertising sort of high level exec. And you know, she was just describing um, her husband was out for the evening, her kids were playing, and she just really, really wanted another glass of wine. She'd already drank a bottle. And she was like, I know this is going nowhere good. I know that. And yet she was pouring herself another glass, knowing that you know, when her husband comes home and sees she's drank a bottle and a half, he's going to be like, what's going on? And she said it wasn't so much what she did when she was drinking, she regretted because she didn't do anything that bad. Right. You know, I used to say to my therapist, like, well, I'm only hurting myself with the hangovers Mm -hmm. and the drinking, like Mm -hmm. everything else Mm -hmm. is still good. Isn't that so crazy how we minimize crazy. Mm -hmm. But she said it was, the days and the weeks and the months like slipping through her fingers, all those nights, all those weekends where she could have been accomplishing things and she was tired or making her world smaller to fit in. Oh, but I have happy hour and I want to go do drink and I want to go to this party and just 
the way your productivity and your optimism just shrink when you're drinking and you feel like you need it more and more to help you sleep, to help you relax, to help you to reward yourself for jumping back on the computer, to, you know, laugh about the day with your girlfriends at work when, you know, you've had a million microaggressions. Um, It becomes your favorite and a lot of times only reward. And I just knew it was too important to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It was, it sounds like the drink became like just this form of celebration and that, and getting to that form of celebration was more important than anything else. Yeah. You know, I just need to get here. I used to like open a bottle of wine and my husband would be like, Oh, I'll try that one. And I would be pissed because I'd be like, now I'm going to have to open a second bottle because I'm not going to have enough and it's going to be awkward. Like Mm -hmm. all those thought patterns. I was like, Casey, this is not normal. Like this has too much of your attention or I'd be out at dinner with people and I'd be really trying to make eye contact with the waitress so I could get a third glass of wine before she brought the check and it was awkward. Just that the amount of my brain space it was taking up, I was very aware of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, So through your recovery, take me through one of the hardest moments. I mean, I honestly think that the hardest period of time for women who struggle with drinking and decide to stop is before you actually stop. Um, Women, I work with pretty high achieving women who also decide that drinking isn't working in their lives. And there is a very long period that women usually go through of worrying about their drinking, questioning their drinking, trying to stop, rationalizing it, going again. So I would say for two years, I knew my drinking was an issue. And as far as I would get would be day four or day five. I would promise myself I would stop. I would take pictures of myself in the morning being like, oh my God, my eyes and my skin look terrible. I hated looking in my rear view mirror to talk to my toddler daughter in the back seat because I didn't like the way my eyes looked. Um, and yet, did they ever know? I would, did the kids ever know? Um, I mean, my son knew I loved my wine, but no, no. Cause this is really, so, I mean, may, maybe it's because, you know, of the field that I'm in, but this is really rare. Like you're in, this is why I wanted to make sure we shared it. This is very rare. Oftentimes you, th- there is that bottom, yeah. you know, oftentimes there is a whole hell of a lot of negotiation. I hear several women say, you know, I feel so guilty because, you know, last night my kid literally grabs the wine bottle out of my hand and threw it out and was crying and was pissed off at me because I couldn't stop. Yeah. You know, I mean, or I would say a couple things. I would say I was very lucky. Sure. Definitely. Um, my husband, I mean, it was unspoken that when we went out to dinner or a date that he was driving home. It was not even a question. Um, I've been married for 21 years, so I didn't get into a lot of dangerous situations that I might've had I been dating and single. 
Um, I have very good friends. I mean, some of my friends on camping trips used to be like, all right, who's going to stay up with Casey and Holly so they don't fall in the fire? You know what I mean? Like, um, my, my wake up calls, which of course were not necessarily when I stopped. Um, so for example, my husband was away. I got my son to bed. I mean, I usually had two glasses before my kids went to sleep. I would finish the bottle after they went to Mm -hmm. sleep. Um, and my son was in kindergarten and he had made this like, uh, leprechaun trap with gold coins that we were, which speaking of which, why do they do this to working mothers? Why do we have yet another know. thing that we know. need I'm to like, do? I'm like, shit, are you kidding me? I don't have fucking time I was like, to go ahead and set up this damn leprechaun yeah, trap. But uh, I don't believe it. Right? You know, like, <laughs> how am I going to convince my kids Elf on the shelf, it? really? We have to now move it and surprise them oh, for 20 I blame, days, right? I blame that it has not moved in a week because your room's not cleaned. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, oh, he must have liked that spot. What the hell? <laughs> and this is me sober, by the way. Um, yeah. But my son was five. He had his trap and I was drinking, totally forgot yeah. and went to bed. And he came into my bedroom hysterically crying. Um and I tried to play it off, you know, I posted on social media, you know, hashtag mom fail, trying to make a joke of it. I was like, oh, he must have been caught at a different house. I knew what had happened. I knew it was crushing. Yeah. Um, the um, try, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I tripped and fell on a business trip in front of my boss after dinner, after drinking too much and skinned my knee. I was hungover at conferences and definitely was not as on my game as I should have been. But nothing major happened. And no one told me I should stop. Um, I also did most of my drinking at home, you know. And so yeah. what the hardest part was before I actually got what I call sober momentum. Because I was doing the absolute worst part over and over again. The hardest part of quitting drinking is your first 30 days. And within that, it's actually more your first two weeks, 16 days, because you are going through physical withdrawal of alcohol. Even if you only drink, you know, a couple of drinks, regardless, you're going through physical withdrawal and you're going through emotional withdrawal and habitual withdrawal and alcohol is everywhere. Especially if you drink, you surround yourself with drinkers. So day four really was like the low of my physical withdrawal. Plus you're irritated, you're anxious, you feel like Mm -hmm. you're happier when you're drinking. And by the way, you are because what alcohol does is you're spiking your dopamine so often every time you drink that your body has depressed your natural level of dopamine and your natural level of serotonin. So your happy hormone, your mood regulation hormone. So you are more emotionally unstable and less happier when you stop drinking, but that's because of the alcohol and you will even out. So that was the hardest part. And then just working through the block and tackling of like, how do I do this thing? Like, how do I go to a bar and watch everyone else drink and not drink? Or how do I, where do I go 
on a date with my husband? Where do we go on our anniversary weekend? How do I talk to people and tell them that the red wine girl who drinks every night at every happy hour is not drinking without getting into like a discussion of, oh my God, do you have a problem? You know, and I didn't go to a 12 step program and I don't label myself an alcoholic. I don't call myself that. I see quitting drinking as a health and wellness choice, getting away from my highly, highly addictive substance. Yes. But similar to deciding to become vegetarian or vegan, which by the way, I am not, but I used to consume this substance. It, I feel better without it and therefore I don't anymore. And instead I drink something else. That's how I've approached it. Why? So, so I, and I ask this because I get that all the time. I used to work um, for a partial hospitalization program and I, um, I did a lot of my training in the dual diagnosis group. And so there's addiction as well as, um, you know, a diagnosis. Um, and any time we would get to that part of, you know, making sure you have a heightened level of support, um, you know, you know, encouraging, like, you know, getting a sponsor, attending a meeting. Right. And so I'm watching this happen. And so many times it's like, that's not me. Yeah. And it's like, right. And, and so I, this is why I ask you that question. Um, that's not me. And, you know, and you know, for me, it was really developing an understanding of what this is like for them. Yeah. You know, let go of the freaking agenda, you know, because the agenda was get into a 12 step program, you know, read the book, right. Get a sponsor. And so in my training early on, it was like, okay, why the hell aren't you going to meeting? Like go to the meeting. Your therapist is telling you to go to the meeting, follow these steps, blah, 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 blah. But every single time I watched it, it was like, well, I'm not going to a meeting. I, 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 I don't want to be surrounded by them. You know, I'm, that's not who I am. And it wasn't until I really started to develop an understanding of what this is like, that it helped me change the way I provide therapy. Yeah. And so for you, why, why is it, you know, why is it that you, you, you give it a different name versus saying, you know, I'm an alcoholic. What is that? Well, every single person is different. And I think that a 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous, has helped millions and millions of people. And it has helped many of my friends. That said, it is one approach. And Mm -hmm. it is the best known approach because it is 85, 90 years old. Like it literally was written by two white Christian men 90 years ago, and you can tell. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, you can, people are like, oh, it's a spiritual program. It's not religious. Well, it was originally religious, and it is written Mm -hmm. in a very religious way. You know, we admitted our sins to God and asked Him to remove them from us. And they're like, yeah, yeah, God of your understanding. But still, um, I am not religious at all. I, calling yourself an alcoholic with all the research I've read and the doctors and and addiction experts I've talked to, that's a self-diagnosis that actually isn't even in the DSM. They call it alcohol use disorder, mild, moderate, Mm -hmm. severe. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of negative stigma associated Mm -hmm. with being an alcoholic. It actually puts the blame on the person, not the substance. I think alcohol companies love the idea of an alcoholic because it's like there are those unfortunate people who have a disease and can't drink. But you, everyone else, don't you worry your pretty little head about this. Like, just be responsible. And it is a highly addictive drug. And nobody wants to talk about that. And I get it. Trust me. When I was drinking, I did not want to talk about that. I loved when I felt it hit my body. I loved the way it made me fuzzy and happy. It's a unique combination of a depressant and a stimulant. And... It surrounds you everywhere. It's the only drug that when you stop taking it, people are like, just have one. Why'd you stop? Yeah. You know, isn't that crazy? It's crazy. It's crazy. Isn't that crazy? It's everywhere. It's yeah. it's everywhere. So in my mind also, I did attend a 12-step program for four months, which I know is not that long, but I went four or five days a week. So I feel like I gave it, I feel like I have an experience with it. The yeah. people were amazing. I am glad it is there. Um, the dogma, the system wasn't for me. And I needed a more positive and empowering approach. I needed to feel not that I needed to constantly remind myself of the worst thing that ever happened, Yeah. but rather this is a proactive choice that I am making because my Mm -hmm. life is better without it. Like, yes, I love to drink, but Without it, I have more energy, less anxiety. I sleep Mm -hmm. better. I'm more confident. I'm more capable. My mind is clearer. And I'm proud of it, you know? Yep, absolutely. The passion is so low these days that I feel parenthood and other commitments are taking control. I want to feel like it's me he wants to spend time with. Yeah, I've said those exact words a hundred times to my friends after realizing that the man I said I do to wasn't the same person. Or was I just imagining it? But here's what I finally realized that changed things for me almost overnight. I started to use four simple and effective steps that changed our communication and connection for the better. As a licensed marriage and family therapist, I got excited and started showing my clients and they too were seeing changes instantly. Whether you've been married for one year or 15, these tips work and I can't wait to share them with you. Girl, I got you. I want to personally invite you to my live two-hour online workshop. This is for moms who have said, the empty promises just aggravate me so much. He says he will do something or take care of something, then he doesn't. Communication has always been a weak point for us. He says things without thinking. I try to logically work through things and he reacts emotionally. I try to say what I feel in a constructive manner. He takes it personally and attacks me. Boundaries are a confusing topic for me because I am a helper. I have this innate need to help anyone I can. So if this is you and you are ready to get off this hamster wheel, then allow me to guide you through this four step process. I can't wait to meet you personally. So again, this is a two hour live workshop. And for whatever reason, if you cannot attend, girl, I got you. This will be recorded, which means you will have lifetime access. This is for women only. If you are ready to go from roommates to lovers, 
then let's go ahead and step outside of our comfort zones together. Allow me to guide you. If you're ready, what I'd like you to do is go to empoweredandunapologetic.com forward slash workshop. Again, that is empoweredandunapologetic.com forward slash workshop. Get ready, mama, because we are about to do some work. leads me to my next question. Why would you say more successful women are falling into the trap of drinking too much or too often? The women I work with, like the women that I know you work with, are pretty high Mm -hmm. achieving. I mean, directors, VPs, C-level, CEOs, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they are very busy. They are doing all the things and they are stressed out. They don't have time to decompress throughout the day. They don't have time to regulate their emotions in the way that would be helpful. And so you go, go, go all day. You come home, you have kids or you don't, whatever, have dinner. Um, You want to downshift really fast. You're like, I've got two hours to relax and I need to start immediately Or you feel like you deserve a reward at the end of the day. And by the way, you do. But you can multitask for a while while drinking. You know, for me, I could make dinner and play Candyland and build Legos while drinking and turn my computer on and keep working. I mean, until I couldn't. But it, in my mind, made it more fun. So I was not, I was more than my job and I was more than, a mom, I was still quote unquote fun, even though I was having a party by myself on a couch on a Tuesday night, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that description. Um, because I can totally see that. Like when you, you know, after a long day of making really crazy decisions, you know, um, running a business, having employees, putting out fires, I'm having really uncomfortable conversations. The minute you get home, it's like, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And it makes sense. It, it makes sense as to, you know, I can go ahead and do this Netflix and chill, you know, or I can go ahead and speed this process up and chill a lot quicker, you know, than, you know, this movie is going to allow me to, right. Or, you know, um, I, I, that makes so much sense. When should we start paying attention to, it's getting out of hand. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I absolutely love these days is there is an entire sober curious movement and also mm-hmm. a movement around mindful drinking. It's really being driven by Gen Z and millennials. So I'm Gen X. So when you say so when you say sober curious, mm-hmm. because curious, the minute we hear curious nowadays, it's kind of like, okay, curious, like what does that mean? It, Yes. Curious and like exploring different genders, curious. And I know what you mean, but just to kind of clarify. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was a book written about five years ago by Ruby Warrington. It was literally titled Sober Curious. And that term's been adopted by the mainstream media. So in January, or you will see um, stories written about being sober. Are you sober curious? Is sober curious the new black, whatever it is in everything from the Wall Street Journal to Vogue to the Today Show to, you know, you name it, it's out there. Forbes magazines, 
writing about it. And the idea is that there was this movement started many years ago, but it's really taken off called Dry January. And the idea is you yeah. abstain for alcohol, from alcohol for the entire month of January to sort of regulate the excesses of holiday drinking. And it originally was a fundraiser for a charity. Um, and now in the United States, over 30% of American adults participate in it. In recent um, surveys, over 47% of American adults want to cut down on their alcohol consumption. There's a ton of new research out there about the fact that alcohol actually causes cancer, seven different types of kinds of cancer, which um, people, you know, only 30% of Americans know that there's a direct causal link between alcohol and cancer. Yeah. It's a carcinogen. Everybody knows, 70% of Americans know, believe, whatever, that, that cigarettes cause cancer, right? I mean, there's no question. But yeah. the fact is that drinking a bottle of wine a night, which by the way, zero judgment, I did it every night of the week. Um, yeah. It is the equivalent of smoking 10 cigarettes in terms of cancer. That, I mean, I was basically smoking 10 cigarettes a day. A day. Insane. A day. Um, and so all that information is coming out. The cancer link just came out like four years ago, that information. Before that, people used to say red wine is good for your heart. It actually is in no way good for anything. And there's no difference because yeah. I was a red wine girl. Red wine is in no way healthier than vodka or tequila or whatever else you might drink. But yeah. with all this information, with younger generations, um, knowing the link between anxiety and depression and alcohol, people are like, would my life be better without alcohol? So if you're questioning it, dry January is an incredible time to take a break from alcohol. Mm. Um, first of all, it's good. you will see that you will sleep so much better. Even a single drink reduces your sleep quality by 24%. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, you will sleep better. You will have more energy. In 30 days, your skin looks better. You'll have less bloating, um, less anxiety. You'll be naturally happier and more emotionally stable. Yeah. But what you'll find is if you cannot go 30 days, if you go four days and break, if you are truly unhappy without alcohol, um, or find it uncomfortable, that's a great time to be like, wow, this substance actually has a decent hold on me. And yeah. maybe I need to take a break or a longer break and get support. I ended up working with the sober coach. I took an online course. I read all the books. Um, it's really about adjusting your habits and your mindset and your rewards that you use for that like cue craving response reward. You frame it in a way that is not dire or there's no stigma for you or anyone else. I mean, there are a lot of yeah. tips and tricks to do it, mm -hmm. but I think trying to take a break and then seeing how difficult that is for you. That's sort of a good sign. I love that idea. I love that idea. Love that idea. The next question I was going to ask you, so we're doing dry January. Um, we're starting to, some of the things that you're saying is, is holds true for us in one way or another. Um, what things, 
So we're doing dry January. What things can we do that involve our family? Mm-hmm. Um, are there certain questions? Because, you know, um, obviously, um, most of the time there is a significant, you know, um, blow to the family, you know, um, with regards to alcoholism, substance abuse, yeah. what have you, the, the, the family does, you know, um, in one way or another, mm-hmm. you know, get hit by this. Um, what conversations do you remember having maybe with your husband or your children yeah. or, or did you even have it? You know, what's interesting. I just interviewed my nine-year-old daughter on my podcast. Oh, I seen that on yes. Thursday, and um, I actually quit drinking when she was two. My son was eight, so in my first mm. year alcohol free, he was the same age as my daughter is now. But we talk about alcohol now, and me drinking and quitting drinking, very in a very similar way that I talked to my son about it. Um, obviously, I'm much more knowledgeable now. I'm almost eight years sober. Um, and I'm a coach and, you know, all this stuff, but, um, basically the only thing I told my husband or my son was I'm doing a health kick and I'm taking a hundred day break from alcohol. And I told my husband, you know, I love to drink and you know, this is going to be hard for me, but it's important. So I need to not have any wine in the house. That was my drink of choice. Now I advise my clients, like, get all the alcohol out of the house yeah. if you can. Yes. Um, yes. I didn't ask that of my husband at the time. And that's sort of like, I didn't want to inconvenience him. I didn't want to put him out. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is my issue. And now I'm like, mm-hmm. we ask our spouses to do stuff all the time. Like, you can time. go out and drink with friends and mm-hmm. he could mm-hmm. drink, you know, do whatever. And mm-hmm. by the way, if he can't support me on this, that says a lot about his relationship yeah. with alcohol, yeah. but neither here mm-hmm. nor there. Um, your spouse does not need to stop drinking. Like, don't be like, well, my spouse won't drink. Therefore, I can't stop. Yeah you can. And the, the good news is that life is way better when you stop drinking. But I told them I was doing a hundred day challenge. Um, I told them my husband, please don't buy me wine. Please don't ask me if I want it. If I'm in a grumpy mood and I call you on my way home from work and you're at the grocery store, please don't pick it up. Um, this is hard for me is what I said. Yeah. And, but that was all I told them. Um, when I hit 30 days, I asked him, what do you notice? Like, I was worried he thought I was boring, not drinking. Yeah. And he said, actually, I noticed that our house is much more peaceful. It used to oh. be way more chaotic. You would come home and be very upset or resentful about work. And you're, you know, in the mornings, you were really quiet and standoffish. I was hungover. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I used to yeah. say to my son, just like, hey, can you not jump on the couch? Like, mommy doesn't feel great on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Life is yeah. way different when you have a great night's sleep and you go running at 7 a.m. and come home and you're mm-hmm. like, who wants pancakes? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's all I told him. But you know what I did? I got a ton of support without telling him. I hired a sober coach. I emailed her every single day. I emailed her and she replied. I emailed her 
on day two and day five and on day 16, I was in tears. I wanted to drink so much after I had a horrible day at work with my boss and it was a Friday Mm -hmm. night and I was like, I want a drink. I emailed her when my husband was just clueless and not helping and I was mad at him. And when I was Mm -hmm. like, I am terrified to go out to this dinner party. And I also did an online course with Holly Whitaker almost eight years ago. So she ended up writing Quit Like a Woman. It's a New York Mm -hmm. Times bestselling book that Chrissy Teigen credits with her decision to quit drinking. It's really well known. But this was back in the day. She had a group of 100 people. We got together for eight weeks. She went live twice a week. Each week was a different, you know, alcohol, how it affects you, your relationships, Mm -hmm. diet, you know, all these things. And my husband had no idea, which is probably how I got away with drinking so much with him not noticing. Um, And not because we didn't love each other, just because he was busy and I was busy. And we had fallen into, we talked about this, sort of that ships passing in the night thing. We saw each other for an hour Mm -hmm. in the morning. We saw each other for two hours in the evening, but I was cooking dinner and getting the kids to bed. And then I was drinking on the couch or going to bed early once I was quitting drinking. And he coached baseball. He was home late. He was a varsity baseball coach. He was gone a lot of Saturdays. So we'd get home Saturday nights and go out to dinner, have cocktails or whatever. And Sunday we'd do all the chores, right? So it was, it was easy oddly for me to get a ton of support without him noticing. Yeah. Yeah. If you can give the listener one motivational tip, what would that be? I would say to take a break from drinking because you will be incredibly surprised how many of your areas of your life improve. And I was shocked. I thought that stopping drinking would be the worst case scenario of my entire life. And I was so much happier a hundred days in. I could not believe that I'd settled for so little or lived that way for so long, waking up vaguely hungover, feeling so stressed out. And then basically Mm -hmm. in my mind, knocking myself unconscious every night. I was like, I have a good life and I am Mm -hmm. basically coming home and as quickly as I can knocking myself unconscious and that, and then being ill most of the next day and then doing it again. So I would say, treat it as an experiment. Try to not moderating saying, I'm only going to have two drinks or I'm only going to drink on Thursday, yeah. Friday. It keeps you in the drinking cycle and it keeps alcohol mm-hmm. as the reward. You're basically white knuckling yep. it and get excited about it because there are a lot of benefits. And by the way, you get to a hundred days, you don't feel better. No one's taking the alcohol away. It will be there, yeah. but then you will know, you will yep. know how you feel and you'd be shocked at Maybe you'll start running again. Maybe you'll take up a hobby you've abandoned. You will have so much more time and money and energy. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on. Like, I appreciate your vulnerability. I appreciate, like, you just willing to go there. 
you know, and one, one of the biggest takeaways that I hope you ladies get from this is like, the, this can happen to any of us. Like, you, you know, we, we are very much driven individuals and for us to believe that like, it's, it's not within reach. I, I got to tell you, you are a thousand percent wrong, you know, um, pay attention, you know, and I appreciate, you know, the hundred days or dry January. Yeah. Like I love start I love, with dry love, January mm-hmm. and it's, people love, won't look at you weird. It, they won't be like, no. why you'll just be like, I'm doing dry. And it is in yeah. the news. It's a thing. And there are amazing non-alcoholic beverages out there. Um, yeah. athletic brewing company has, non-alcoholic beer that is so good you wouldn't believe it there are non-alcoholic proseccos brutes i mean bubbly rosé so just to say i always like the the phrase keep the ritual change the ingredients you know mm, you go to that. a restaurant someone orders a burger and you order the vegetable risotto doesn't matter you know you're having yeah. a great meal Yep, absolutely. For those that want to work with you, where can we find you? Yeah, the best place to find me is hellosomedaycoaching.com. I've got a free 30-day guide, 30 tips for your first month alcohol-free. So if you want to do a 30-day challenge, there are so many tips and tricks to make it easier. And my podcast is the Hello Someday podcast for sober, curious women. And it is a coaching and a habit change approach, not just for quitting drinking, but for all the things women struggle with. Veronica's been on talking about mm-hmm. why high achieving women, um, you know, struggle to connect in their marriages. But we yeah. have episodes on perfectionism and burnout and boundaries and just all the things that make you want to drink and how to navigate mm-hmm. that alcohol free, but just coping tools. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on. I appreciate you. Definitely utilize those exercises. And again, pay attention. If you're starting to feel uncomfortable and you're doing dry January, that's telling you something. Listen, listen to it. Thank you again for being on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. What's up, ladies? Just want to let you guys know that your ratings and reviews for this podcast are greatly appreciated. If you love this podcast, please go to iTunes right now, write a review, rate the episode, and subscribe. Don't forget to share it with your friends. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.